Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Power Up In Game. I'm your host, Michael, and I am joined, as always, with my main man, Taylor. Taylor, how's it going, buddy? Man, I am doing pretty good. It has been a while since we have last talked. We've had some personal stuff come up when it comes to scheduling. Not anything, like, overly serious, I think. <laughs> I hope I'm right there. But, uh, and Easter weekend also just snuck up on us, so, uh, we're back, though. We're good to go. We're, we got a ton of gaming news to talk about, Michael. Like, this is a jam-packed episode here. Oh, man, there's so much stuff that's been happening. Stuff that is still happening even as we record this. Like, this is the week where apparently all the news has been just piling on from last week, which barely anything happened. But yeah, let's get right into it and let's see what's on the docket for today. Nintendo has dropped a new trailer for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. Call of Duty Warzone's 2 latest DMZ bundle is being talked about as paid to win. Suicide Squad Killer Justice League was pushed back to 2024. We'll talk about rumors surrounding Marvel Spider-Man 2. Redfall will be capped at 30 frames per second at launch. EA's first-person magic shooter, Immortals of Avium, is releasing in July. Halo Infinite's head of creative, Joseph Staten, is leaving Microsoft. A patent from Sony hints at a PS5 controller with a temperature feature. Ubisoft Plus has launched on Xbox. And Jack Black recently commented on the potential of a Red Dead Redemption movie or a series. Whew, so with all that, Taylor, those are a lot of stories, and we don't actually have a main topic this week. So how about you just take it away and lead us into our first story of the week? Don't mind if I do, Michael. Those are a lot of stories, man. <laughs> but the, before the, man, we do and, that... And the worst we, part is like you had to take a lot of stories out. Like I know. I had like had two or bunch. three more, and I was like, oh, I don't know, man. I, I think we're going to have a patch show. I don't want to have like 15 stories for us to talk about and have a four-hour podcast, because you know the way we are. Oh, man, it'll happen. But real quick, we want to say that you can find sources for all the topics we're going over today down in the description of this episode. We do that to give out proper credit, and if any listeners want to read further about the topics we cover. Also, it's important to note that you should always take any unofficial stories we cover with a grain of salt and treat them as unconfirmed reports slash rumors until they are officially said otherwise. And with that out of the way, let's get into our stories of the week, starting with Nintendo. Nintendo recently dropped a new trailer for The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. The trailer featured a new look at Ganondorf in his human form, who is voiced by Matt Mercer, by the way. The world of Hyrule, villagers appearing to be aiding Link as he strides into battle and more. Since we have been off the last few weeks, we should probably also mention that this isn't the only time that Tears of the Kingdom was dominating the gaming news cycle. A few weeks ago, Nintendo revealed the first gameplay footage for Tears of the Kingdom, since it's been a while, and honestly, we don't remember everything off the top of our heads, I'm going to be reading off of the nerd stashes right up of the story, written by James Bell, as a refresher. Quote, The Tears of the Kingdom gameplay footage showed that most of Hyrule and the basic gameplay is the same, but there are a few key and apparent differences. The biggest among those are Sky Islands, floating landmasses above Hyrule that Link can get to in various ways, 
one of which was shown in the gameplay footage. The recall ability allows Link to rewind or re reverse an object's movement, and with this, he can potentially reverse objects that fall from the Sky Islands to ascend up to them. Once there, players can discover a new enemy called a Construct, which appears to be a robotic entity that lives in the Sky Islands and has some strong connection to the Xenoid tribe. Various new abilities were shown, along with the recall ability, during the Tears of the Kingdom gameplay footage as well. These include Fuse, which allows players to merge two weapons or objects together to create new items or weapons. This can potentially be used to reserve or replace damaged weapons. A similar ability, Ultra Hand, allows players to stick objects together to create makeshift tools, vehicles, or other items to traverse Hyrule and the Sky Islands. Finally, the Ascend ability allows players to pass through any ceiling to climb high areas or escape from confined areas. First off, what are your thoughts on this trailer? And when you're done talking about that, let us know your thoughts on the Tears of the Kingdom gameplay showcase a few weeks back. I think you and I are on the same page here, Michael. There's a lot of good from what we've seen from Tears of the Kingdom so far, but there are two elephants in the room that just we didn't care for, I think, when it comes to Tears of the Kingdom. The first being the... The insistence, I would say, of Nintendo keeping weapon durability around from Breath of the Wild to Tears of the Kingdom. And the second, I think both of you, you and I are on the same page, that $70 is, it's a big ask for uh, N Nintendo here. As great as The Legend of Zelda is. Yeah, uh, I'm definitely not dropping $70 for what feels like a last-gen game, what looks like a last-gen game, because the Switch is definitely a last-generation system. Um, and yeah, that whole, your weapons still degenerate, they still break thing, that ruins it for me. Uh, those are the two things that like, you were talking about. Uh, it was a cool trailer. I'll give them that. Like, they know how to sell the game. It looked cool. Uh, I definitely like the whole fuse aspect, but it seems like a band-aid on a gaping wound that is the weapon breaking uh, feature. It just seems like it's it's kind of a waste. It's like, oh yeah, your weapon might break, but you can put a boulder on a stick now. Isn't that cool? It's like, yeah, it's cool. If you allow me to do that with any weapon I collect, like keep, I don't want my weapons to keep breaking. I don't want to keep doing recipes and crap. That's one of the things I hated about Breath of the Wild. Like, yeah, I got used to the system, but the system was never fun for me. In fact, it was always frustrating. I found myself having fun with Breath of the Wild just for my weapon to make a noise and break and take me out of the immersion, take me out of the game, take me out of the story, out of the battle. It was just such an annoyance, an unnecessary annoyance at that. Uh, so from the keep it in and just adding in a cool feature that honestly could replace weapons breaking uh, is just so bewildering to me. I think it's kind of cool that you can create aircrafts with it. Like you take a raft and yeah. throw on a couple of turbines on there and turn it to like a flying ship for a few seconds. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, but cool trailer, not interested in the game, especially not at 70 bucks. I think when you were talking about it, it's a last gen game, it's very important for us to note here that Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom from what we've seen are beautiful looking games. But no, I know good. where you're coming from when it comes to Nintendo from a 
technology standpoint still feels it feels like it's about time for the next Nintendo console. It's been a while. I know the Switch is selling very well. I don't remember there was an article a few weeks ago I was reading Such about an OLED. About like the Switch its sales and how it's an all time console in terms of sales. I can't remember. But at the same that time thing, I will say the Switch is still outselling the Xbox. The yeah. Xbox One, the One X, Series X. Like it's still outselling those. Alright, so it's not like it's it's not like the Wii U. Is basically what like, yeah. what Taylor's saying. Like it's, it's doing very very well. But at the same time, you can tell from a technology standpoint, and from like the consumer looking at outside looking in. Okay, Nintendo, what you got next? Uh, and it feels like a lot of these awesome games that they're making. It makes me think, what could they look like if Nintendo pushed the boundaries into their next console? And instead, it does feel like Nintendo is like. Yeah, we got the Switch. It's still selling well. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So I get where you're coming from with that. And I agree with you 100% when it comes to the $70 price tag and when it comes to weapon durability. Not a big fan at all of either of those. Getting into the positives, because it feels like we've been trashing this a lot. I really like this trailer. I really loved the gameplay footage shown. I love the fuse mechanic, being able to, as somebody who is horrible at aiming in any kind of shooter or anything in gaming period, having the ability to put like an eye onto my arrow and it auto aims for me, I'm like, okay, that's cool. It's great. And then there's all sorts of like creative, I guess there's just going to be so many creative gamers out there who are going to be posting content about like, hey, here, I combine this thing with this thing and here's what it made and... It's just going to create a lot of cool and unique moments, I think. And that goes from just weapons to the shield that you saw Link use in the gameplay footage. He, like, attached a mushroom to it that created, like, a smoke cloud when an enemy hit it. And then all the vehicles. There are going to be so many crazy vehicles people make. Yeah, no, it's 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 going to be great. It's going to be cool to see all the creative stuff people do. Like, people are still doing creative things with Breath of the Wild. Yeah, and it feels like Nintendo's leaning into it, which is exactly what they should do. It's just, for a game that's so creative, it boggles my mind that they limit the player with weapon durability. Yeah, I don't really get that myself. I don't get why they just like, okay, a lot of people complained about it. They didn't like it. Let's throw it out, but let's replace it with the fuse system so it's still fun and interesting. Like, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, but weapon durability, I know there's still a lot of people who liked it because people like making games chores for some reason. I don't know. Hey, look, I, I, I get it. Maybe that's all you do or maybe like that's your escape. Um, but a game shouldn't be a chore. And that and the whole weapon management thing felt like a chore. But some people liked it. So I guess Nintendo decided, yeah, we're sticking with that. And we're just going to add something to make things fun for the complainers like you and me. <laughs> As for the other abilities, the recall ability was awesome. I love that. Ultra Hand seems pretty cool as well. This is the vehicle stuff I was talking about earlier. And Ascend is something that I think I'm going to be very excited by. Because it's an ability that isn't... It's not the most like creative, but it might be the most useful. Because I love the exploration of Breath of the Wild. I love how you can get lost in the world. 
And this goes back to what I was talking about with the game being so creative and just so free. When the weapon durability thing feels like it limits me in a way. Because now I have to just pick up a lot of stuff and it, it feels just different than everything else. But I say all this to go, I love the exploration of the game. But when you get to a certain point and you're climbing like the 50th mountain to get to the mountaintop and you're sitting there going, man, can Link climb a little bit fucking faster, please? Having that ability to be able just to ascend to the top if you find a cave or something is just going to be so cool. It keeps the exploration alive in the game because not every mountain is probably going to have a cave, but... It, it's a great little shortcut to have, I think. Give me a grappling hook. Let me just, let there be certain points on the mountain or the hill that can grapple and zip my way up through. Like, I think that would be fun, but, you know, that would also make things, you know, interesting. Uh, there's been grapple hooks in past Zelda games, so I don't know why it's not here. That would definitely make things a little more fun to me. Uh, maybe do that with your fuse system, you know. Fuse or boulder to your grappling hook, and now it's like a chain whip or something. I don't know, a mace, just something cool. I don't, I didn't really care for the climbing in Breath of the Wild. Uh, after a while, when you finally get uh, Link's stamina up just, just well enough to where you can climb the high mountains, he was so slow, and it bothered me so much. I was like, oh my goodness, <laughs> I really want this to quicken up, please. I, I, I worked on getting my stamina. Why is Link still so slow? You spent five minutes just uh, 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 while watching your stamina meter slowly drain. I'm like, this is annoying. To be fair, you can wear clothes that'll help with that, but I get where you're yeah. coming from. It still is. When, at it's a certain it, it, point it in the be. game, like maybe it's just depending on where you're at in the game. Sometimes the exploration, exploration in the game turns to a tedious act instead of what it was meant to be and how it feels a lot of the time, which is man, this is so great. Like, this world is so beautiful. It's... I should have to cook up six different soups in order to climb faster. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that was my problem. Like, okay, I get Don't get me wrong, audience. Mechanics. Listeners, I do think Michael's being a bit of a hater. We don't know a lot hey, I'm of just saying. I'm, 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 talking, I'm talking about the things that bothered me about the game. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I'm just saying, Nintendo, don't make me cook six different soups to have Link climb a hill. There's a lot of stuff that Nintendo has kept secret, and I think that has been genius from them because they have shown off so little with the benefit of what Breath of the Wild was and how successful it was, and by showing off just enough to keep everybody excited with a franchise that doesn't need a whole lot to sell. Like Nintendo has been pulling off their marketing, I think, beautifully. But at the end of the day, I am very excited about this game. I'm not sure that I'm going to get it at $70. I'm not like Michael. To where Michael has a... He just has a principle. He's not getting a game of $70. <laughs> I just feel like as much as I love Legend of Zelda, I'm not sure $70 is the price tag for, for me. <laughs> I know it's only $10. Yeah, um... But at the same time, it's just... I, what am I getting out of those $10? Like, at least, at the very least, I look at the Series X, the Series S, and the PS5, and you go, okay, it's a next-gen upgrade. What the hell am I getting for Tears of the Kingdom on the same system that I got Breath of the Wild for? Yeah. <laughs> you know? 
But those are my only like real complaints, that and the weapon durability. Everything else looks great. Alright, moving on to our next story. Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone 2 recently released its third season that includes new maps, new modes, and potentially a questionable addition to the game. Since we are not Call of Duty experts these days, let's take a look at it from GameSpot's write-up of the story, written by Joseph Yaden. Here's what Yaden said in the GameSpot article. Quote, Warzone 2 players are not happy with the recent Season 3 update, which features what some are calling a pay-to-win DMZ store bundle. The bundle, referred to as Bomb Squad, includes an additional active duty operator slot and costs 1,200 COD points, which is equal to around $10. The main, the main issue is that there is no other way to earn a fourth active duty slot by simply playing the game. So players who buy the Bomb Squad bundle gain an advantage in DMZ mode. Bomb Squad also includes a free medium backpack the EOD Specialist, and an Insured Weapon Cooldown bonus effect, among other cosmetics. Other players reported seeing a bundle available that granted an additional armor vest and even a UAV. End quote. I believe this only impacts DMZ mode, for now. That last part is very important to mention here. I think the problem people have with this is that it does impact the DMZ mode in a pay-to-win way, which impacts the quality of the mode, too. And I would assume people are probably also concerned that this could be the start of future pay-to-win practices in future Call of Duty content. Are you concerned by this news, Michael? Slightly, because that is how these things get started. Uh, they try to find a way to make these things pay to win. DMZ is a boring chore to play. It is a mess. It is a half-assed attempt at trying to do a multiplayer co-op. I tried to like it. I played it with randos. I played it with friends. And no matter how you try to slice it, it is terrible. It is a waste of resource. It's boring as hell. And there, there was an update not too long ago where they actually upped the AI to where they can just beam you out of nowhere. And it got kind of annoying for a lot of players. And the whole medium backpack thing was a big deal because you can't actually lose your gear in DMZ if you don't make it to the extraction point within a certain time limit. Or if you're killed in action. And that gets really annoying. So for them to sell you a solution that the medium backpack which is very helpful and very necessary with all the stuff you have to pick up uh, is permanent if you pay for it is really daunting and really uh, a cautionary tale of what of what's to come uh, extra slots that you can't get from playing is a huge red flag for me and like I said it's a boring mess to play in the first place uh, but it kind of feels like they made it more difficult and more unfair towards the player just so they can sell you a solution rather than making the game balanced and making it purely about the player's skill and working in, uh, with teamwork. Because when the game launched, I played with DMZ and, me and a couple of randos. You know, we were getting through the game by 
using tactics. You know, we used a little bit of stealth. We got into firefights when we needed to or when we were forced to. And we were able to extract with some pretty cool stuff. It was great. But after that week, it became a mess. So I am very cautious about free-to-play. Um, well, DMZ isn't free-to-play. I'm real concerned about these game modes that doesn't need bundles, that doesn't need players to spend money, all of a sudden having microtransactions put in them or else the game becomes basically unplayable. And while that's not going to happen with the main multiplayer game, I'm kind of wondering how it's going to affect stuff like Warzone in the future. Okay, so first off, DMZ, I think it is free to play. I'm with you. I do think this is potentially... <laughs> I could see this as a really bad thing for Call of Duty. It does kind of feel like a, all right, let's test the waters here and use it for DMZ, which hasn't been as popular, obviously, as Warzone. Uh, so, so I'm sorry to interrupt you, uh, but yeah, it's part of it's part of Warzone Two, so it is free to play. Yeah. All right. So yeah, you you were right. So that's even worse. I just I don't like the feature of. Call of Duty if this is the direction Activision Blizzard wants to go in with it. Because this could lead to just a lot... This could... <laughs> I don't mean to sound all doom and gloom, but this can kind of be the start of, like, Warzone 2 already isn't as popular as Warzone 1 was. Yeah. To be fair, the Call of Duty t franchise itself is always going to sell. At yeah. this point, it's one of those franchises, unless something crazy happens, I think it might be too big to fail. At this point, it's just that popular of a franchise. But that being said, I can see it going back to how it was years ago with the Advanced Warfare, Infinite Warfare, World War Two. There was a one in between. What was it called? Um, was it Black Ops Three? It might have been. No, it was Black Ops Four. All those games that weren't as it just felt like they were in a slump, and it feels like this is where we're heading again. After 2019 had Modern Warfare 2019 and Warzone, which just, it felt like it reinvigorated the franchise. And it feels like we're going right back into where it was with some stupid practices and not enough content and a lot of stupid monetization. I have no issues with cosmetics being monetized. I still think it's way too much money. <laughs> it costs $20 for a skin, but... I don't have an issue with it being cosmetic. It's purely optional. It doesn't affect the game itself. I do have a problem with something like this. I'm saying I wouldn't mind it if there was also a bunch of skins and stuff that you could unlock just by playing the daggone game. That's my only huge issue with that stuff. There's some operators that you just cannot unlock unless you buy the bundle for I'm not talking about even Shredder or whatever new characters they added. I'm talking about the campaign characters. Oh, yeah, no, the legacy characters, You can even yeah. play as Soap or Price or Gaz. Well, you can play as Gaz by doing the uh, raid, I think, the first episode of the raid. But Fer Which Farrah, is hard to do. you can't. Like, there's so many, like, the campaign characters you can't even play unless you get the battle pass and or get a bundle. Had a pre-order. Yeah, 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 or a pre-order. I think the pre-order gave you uh, access to, depending on the bundle you got, the campaign characters. Which is ridiculous to me, man. Yeah, unfortunately. And I don't know how much further this is going to go with each Call of Duty because they make bank off of those bundles. Yeah. So 
I say it's ridiculous, but again, at least it's cosmetic and it doesn't affect the game itself. So it's easier to digest and be like, all right, you know what? The game's fun. But when the game doesn't keep you playing, when it isn't as fun, when you don't have that much content compared to previous Call of Duties, again, this is my opinion. Which is weird. I think that's where you start to open yourself up to more criticism. And then you have a story like this come out. And with this bundle. It's DMZ. I know. It's DMZ. Nobody plays DMZ. It's the least popular mode probably in Modern Warfare 2. But at the same time, it's a shady business practice that nobody likes. Nobody likes pay to win. Yeah. Oh, actually, no, before we move on, uh, are you going to play DMZ? Are you going to try to go back in and see how it is? Uh... I just don't have an interest right now. <laughs> That's a sad part, dude. I used to be huge in the Call of Duty. There's something about after the first two weeks of Modern Warfare 2, I just lost interest in the game. And then yeah. Warzone 2 came out, and then the first day I was like, okay, this is fine. The map is really good. I still do like the map, but there was just something about it that just it felt like it, this game had moved on, which is completely fine. And I'm just still sitting there going like, back in the Modern Warfare 2 in 2011 days, <laughs> back in the Black Ops 2, and even Black Ops 3 days. So, I don't know, man. I don't know if this game franchise can get me maybe, back. Maybe it's the community that's moved on. Maybe. I don't know, man. I don't know how much people are talking about this, too. Other than a few articles that I've seen written up, including this GameSpot one here that we featured here. And they're talking about how unbalanced it's become. Because mm-hmm. uh, remember, uh, a few months ago in one of our episodes, I was actually playing Warzone 2 while we were uh, talking on the <laughs> podcast. So, <laughs> <laughs> we, were super, we were super professional that way. So, like, I was playing the game while we were talking about it. And at first, it was a good impression. It was like, yeah, this is this is actually pretty good. But, of course, like, all good things, eventually new updates and new balances ruin most guns. Or they emphasize certain uh, builds and metas. It's just become, it, be, it becomes a chore. And it becomes just streamer bait, really. It, it really just does become a time just for, like, people who stream the game. It isn't really made for... The actual enthusiast, uh, especially DMZ, DM, DMV, ZP, or whatever. Uh, terrible mode. I haven't played DMZ in months. And honestly, I have no reason to go back. And especially with this pay to win nonsense, I definitely not playing DMZ anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get you. And I, I feel like this pay-to-win story here is just one of those things that you're like, man, Call of Duty, what you doing? Like, how are you going to get back on track? Modern Warfare 2 was supposed to be that. And in terms of financial stuff, yeah, of course. Like, I think this broke records. And I'm sure financially, this game's doing better than ever. The franchise is doing better than ever. But in terms of quality, it feels like we're going back to... 2016, 2017, 2018, to where every year Call of Duty came came out, and you're like, oh, God, what did they do this time? 
And that's kind of sad, man, because it felt like we were going (laughs) back to like, oh, we're getting, we're recapturing the magic here. So I don't know, man. Maybe they do. Maybe who knows what this year's Call of Duty is going to be? Who knows what it's going to actually accomplish? But we'll have to wait and see. But we're gonna have to wait even longer to see Suicide Squad kill the Justice League. Oh, this one hurts. Rocksteady has officially delayed Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to February 2nd, 2024. Here's what Rocksteady had to say in a post on Twitter. Quote, We have made the tough but necessary decision to take the time needed to work on getting the game to be the best quality experience for players. Thank you to our amazing community for the continued support, patience, and understanding. There is much more to share in the months ahead, and we look forward to seeing you in Metropolis next year, end quote. Bloomberg's Jason Trier talked about this delay on Twitter, clarifying a few things. Here's what he had to say, quote, On Suicide Squad, 1. Nine months is not enough time to completely change the nature of the game. 2. The team was told that the delay was for polish and not related to the February gameplay showcase. And 3. Lots of other factors can affect the release timing like the console makers. To be clear, polish can mean a lot of things, from performance optimization to balance tweaks to bug fixes to server stability. Folks are surprised a developer would take 9 extra months to polish a game but that's actually normal these days. Nine years between games, less normal, end quote. I don't think we're too surprised by this delay, right? Sort of. Like, I, I, I thought like it was going to come out this year. I thought they were on track. Um, they had their big showcase, and they felt like they were ready to release it. It was ready to go. Uh, so for them to delay it this long, who knows if it's for fan feedback. It could just be a way to save face. Uh, but I'm hoping it is uh, some gameplay tweaks because that showcase showed nothing but characters shooting purple warts. Uh, so maybe it was just a bad showcase. Maybe they're like, maybe there really are just some automations needed to do uh, because there's been a whole discourse just this week alone about Redfall and 30 frames per second and the difference between. Uh, hitting 4K 30 and 1440 60 and all this other nonsense. So maybe it is a way for them to tweak things to get frames working the way they want to uh, because they're also doing untethered multiplayer. So you and a buddy can just go off and doing different things on your own. Uh, that's one of the problems that Gotham Knights had was that they made it a tethered thing. So you and a buddy were kind of stuck doing the same mission or, or getting set the same mission and whatnot. It was... It was something that a lot of people didn't like. So maybe that's something that they're adding in or they're working on. They're making sure it works. Maybe they're working on the battle pass, making sure that they have enough content for it. Like maybe they delayed it so that way they can create an actual, uh, uh, what are those things, roadmap. And it's like, there's, there's a lot of stuff that they could be doing. But one thing that we know that they're not doing is they're not taking out microtransactions. And they're definitely not taking away the whole live service deal. This game was built from the ground out to be live service. And if they were going to change that, it's going to take more than 10 months to do so. Uh, so I don't I don't really know what exactly needs to be worked on for the game. But I'm really hoping they change the kit of a lot of the uh, characters so that way everybody isn't using the same gun. 
Because I think that that was the one thing you and I really had a problem with. But um, here's my question case. to you there. Let, let's bring up Schreier's tweet here. Nine months is not enough time to completely change the nature of the game. And I believe Schreier is probably referring to the live nature element. But would you consider the gameplay itself to be part of the nature of the game? You know? Yeah, I think I think I think it is a huge uh, undertaking for them, uh, and that's why they needed the extra, well, practically year. Um, I, I I'm again, I'm hoping is to change up the kit of a lot of the players because that's one thing that you and I had a problem with. That's the one thing a lot of fans had a problem with, other than shooting warts the whole time, was that <laughs> everybody was using mini guns and sniper rifles and pistols. Like that makes no sense. Why is Harley Quinn using a minigun when obviously that's something that uh, King Shark Namor should be using? Am I saying his name right? I think I am. That he should be using the minigun while Harley Quinn is using pistols SMGs and uh, and and Deadshot is the one using sniper rifles and rocket launchers and AKs and stuff like that. Captain Boomerang could be sticking sticking to uh explosive boomerangs. Like that this is whole deal, right? Like his boomerangs all have something uh to do. One can like cut through steel, another one cut through people, or it can retract, or he uses one kind of like a camera, like a drone. It's like hey, that'd be kind of, that could be some cool gameplay right there. Yeah. But no, everybody's using pistols and miniguns. Like, yeah, yeah, basically kind of you're saying all the characters, which I agree with, all the characters from the gameplay we saw feel samey. They all can use the same weapons. They have their own unique abilities, sure, but they just, they still, it feels like traversal and one or two abilities are the differences between everybody in terms of gameplay. And that's not how you would imagine a Suicide Squad game being. Harley, you would think, would be more acrobatic, more fast-moving, and you'd be using more hand-to-hand stuff, probably, maybe a big-ass mallet or something. With King Shark, you would figure he would be just a massive freaking tank walking around that is almost unkillable, but you probably aren't going to do a whole lot of fast-moving damage. It would be a lot of lumbering around. And with Boomerang, it would be a lot of range stuff. So I think that's where I'm coming from with the gameplay disconnect. But I'm with you on that. I don't think that 10 months is going to be enough time to, or 9 months is not enough time to change, as Schreier said, the complete nature of the game. Yeah, I mean, no. that's a that's too much of an ask. And yeah, I think you, know, you look at something. Months. I think Schreier said this in a Twitter thread talking about like uh, people responding to him going like, "Is that normal?" And I think he pointed out like Starfield made a delay to polish the game. It's not like that they're making these monumental changes either. It's just, it seems like now this is just the direction the industry is going in, where you delay a game for polish and it's delayed for nine, ten months. So, I don't know how much is going to get changed. I think even us talking about hopefully they change some gameplay stuff up is probably a pipe dream. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's us being hopeful. Yeah, because we we because we were so excited for this game, like we want this game. We to didn't be good. hate it. We didn't. To be no. fair, we didn't hate the gameplay as much as other people. That's the funny part. There was some things we we're like, "Hey, it looks fun," but it's not what we I think would ideally liked out of a Suicide Squad game. I'm I'm still looking forward to the game. Uh, 
a little less so now because of because of the way that they're doing the live service and we've seen so many live service and i'm afraid it's going to pull in avengers to where there is a focus on story but because it has to be so confined to each character that you get in the future you limit the enemies like one of the one of the problems with avengers was that we didn't get any iconic enemies we got we got modok that was cool and Which that's was better it. than in the ant-man modok i'll tell you that <laughs> that's true yeah uh but like like oh you can fight all these robots it's like okay but what about some of the big villains like yeah marvel games crystal dynamics like i don't know if there was any restrictions to be fair but marvel has a roster of some of the most iconic and most interesting heroes and villains in comic book history and it felt like they just restricted themselves either by Marvel or by themselves to we're doing AIM and MODOK. And then they started doing a feature story with the Hulk. And it just, I don't know, man. There was just, wasted there's potential. so much, but yeah, wasted potential has perfect wasted potential. And it feels like Suicide Squad with the Justice League as the villains, <laughs> oh, they're doing no. the same. Yeah, that's what I'm. That's what I'm. That's what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid it's gonna have that issue because uh, like, yeah, we're gonna have future future villains to have their have storylines. Like, cool. Where have you heard this before? All right, Avengers, and that's the hard part about doing live service games because er, all the past levels have to be replayable with the characters that you introduce. So like, it really seems like this is a story that was focused on on Boomerang, Harley Quinn, uh, King Shark, and Deadshot. It's like that's where they started, and that's where they were going with it. And then somewhere down the line, it's like, hey, by the way, this is gonna be a live service game, so you guys have to come up with other characters too. So it's like, whoa, crap! And now we have to try to retrofit all these new villains in the future to the villains that we have net to the story we have now, but also add in their story, and that's gonna be a cluster. I don't know. It's just what just frustrates me more than everything is this game might be good. Who knows? It's just us looking at the gameplay, us looking at what the game seems to be, and I'm not judging Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. I'm not going to judge it yet in terms of is it a good game or is it going to be a bad game until we get our hands on it, until we get to play it. I, what I'm going to say is just in regards to the looter shooter genre, with the exception of a few, it boggles my mind, it frustrates me to no end that somehow this genre never seems to learn from the failures of other games that do the same damn things over and over. It feels like the every new game that comes out that has this looter-shooter stuff and the live service, it's like, yeah, those failed. We aren't. No, we're going to be the one that succeeds. All right, why? Because it's us making it. Yeah, but what are you because doing? Because... Mar- because marketing, yeah, <laughs> that's basically because, it, because marketing. marketing. It's like, but what are you doing differently? Well, I mean, not a whole lot when you think about it. But we're gonna do it right. It just it feels like these looter shooter games. And again, I'm not talking specifically about Suicide Squad. I feel like the game, whether it deserves it or not, it needs to get that benefit of the doubt. Also, I do think it deserves it just because of Rocksteady's track record. Rocksteady are pioneers in the superhero video game genre they have done so much for that genre that i they deserve it 
Yeah, you also had that issue with the uh, Outriders. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All of these games, they never learn from each other. And I'm hoping Suicide Squad, in some kind of way, does learn from these failure of flutter shooters of the yeah, past. Because we, we also we also said about Destiny Two, a, a game that you that you like a lot that you've been playing lately. Uh, how it started off as trying to be a story driven sci fi game, and how it turned itself into a live service game. It's like, I don't know. It was, it was a cool switch because it worked. Because yeah, they saw that that's what the fans want. They wanted the game to continuously update. They didn't want. Two, three, four, five, and six. They wanted to see expansions of the story, which is cool. I think that works for a live service, but it benefit uh, Destiny because they didn't have to keep adding in well-known IP characters into their story. I don't know. I, again, I go back to Rockstar deserves the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to reserve my final judgment until we get to play the game. Maybe we get to play the game and with all the polish. We play it, we go, man, they did do, this is what Avengers should have been. We could be sitting here months from now, in 2024, playing Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League and going, this is what Avengers should have been. This was a load of fun. But the story doesn't really end there, because Jason Schreier, uh, he revealed something else on Twitter here. So going back to that thread from Jason Schreier regarding Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, one user asked if there was a November or December Sony release date that isn't announced yet that pushed Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League to its now 2024 release date. Schreier replied, quote, Spider-Man 2 in September could be a factor too, end quote. What are your thoughts on this? I think it's a lot of baloney. I don't think that's true. Um, I, I think it's wishful thinking. You know, you know, it's funny because... Uh, Are you talking about the Twitter, Suicide Squad part or... The Suicide Squad part, yeah. Okay, I was about to say, that's a, that's a huge hot take there for Jason yeah. <laughs> who's a well-respected <laughs> and most of the time and has a, like an excellent track record. And I thought that's what you're referring to. I was like, damn, Yeah, no, man, no, we, right. we use him as a source in this, on this show all the time. Yeah, but I was say, so, damn, yeah, no, Michael, no. Uh, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> so now you're just talking about like... The Suicide Squad factor into all this, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I think that's a load of baloney. I think it, now, going back eight, nine, ten months, I think that's a little weird. Like you need that much prep time, but at the same time, uh, I think it's because they needed the game to get pushed back for polishing. And also, what we just said too, right? About it does, and this is what Schreier mentions in the Twitter thread, talking about like now it seems to be the new trend. For yeah, yeah. gaming companies, to now it's a pushback at eight to ten months, and we're just yep. gonna make sure it's a hundred percent polished and good to go. Yeah, which is never hundred percent. It's still. I, I know. I said that and immediately it's, hated yeah. myself for saying it. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna. I'm saying Suicide Squad is gonna need a a, a a day one patch. Um, but no, I think it's really because you also got to factor in marketing wise. What is a good time for us to release this in the fiscal year? People, a lot of gamers, they don't like to think about that. They throw that out the window. These things aren't decided just because, hey, we need a little more time. Okay. It's, hey, we need some more time. Okay, let us figure out when in our fiscal year for our shareholders, is it a good time for you to release this? And that all that stuff works together. So I don't think it's because Spider-Man was coming. If anything, they probably bumped the, the game up a couple of months. I mean, uh, uh, back a couple of months to where the Spider-Man 2 hype 
kind of dies down because again, Spider-Man 2 is only on PlayStation 5 right now, all right? And Suicide Squad is coming to PlayStation 5 and Xbox One, uh, I mean, Xbox Series XS and PC. So they have a bit of a benefit right there. The only thing is they're going to miss out on a big chunk of the, the PlayStation 5 crowd when it comes to Spider-Man. But you move it back a couple of months, the Spider-Man 2 hype kind of, kind of calms down. Now you can release that game on the PlayStation 5 and PlayStation 5 players will be like, oh, we're eating good. Oh, man, we get Spider-Man and Suicide Squad. And that's going to drive the hype up for that game on that platform. And while Xbox players are like, oh, man, we finally get Suicide Squad. PC's like, we get Suicide Squad. And everybody's happy. Now, to get pushed back that far, 10, 8, 9, 10 months, I think it's because somebody somebody in the marketing or somebody higher up was like, hey, let's push this to a to what makes sense in a physical year rather than, oh my goodness, let's avoid Spider-Man. It's like, eh, you know, we can afford to release it in this physical year. And I think that's what actually is going on. I could see it being a factor. Maybe it wasn't, no, we want it all to ourselves. We need to make sure that this is a hit. I do think this game had enough problems on its hands and it needed to <laughs> polish to where it's like, I don't know, I could have seen this game doing it before the potential of Marvel Spider-Man 2 releasing in September was a thing. But talking about Marvel Spider-Man 2, yeah, that makes sense to me. I think with everything that we've talked about before on this show with Tony Todd's comments and how it seems like Sony's about to be marketing this game a lot here over the next few months, seems like a slam dunk if this game is releasing in 2023 for it to be like this September release date it's not like a massive bombshell but it's just more smoke to the fire i think when it comes to a potential release date for marvel spider-man 2 all right you got anything else about this story before we move on i just hope we get a good look at marvel spider-man 2 real soon i'm i'm excited for that game i really want to get a good look at the actual gameplay if it's actually going to be co-op and Maybe if we get to uh, have a bit of Venom uh, gameplay in there, and I, I, I want to see that. So that's 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 my last thing to say about it. Hurry up, Sony! I want to see I want to see more. All right, let's move on to Arcane Studios announcing that Redfall will be capped at 30 frames per second on Xbox Series X and Xbox Series S. According to the developer, a 60 frames per second mode will be added to Redfall via a game update at a later date. Michael, I am one of the last people we should be talking to about this topic because you're better off talking frames per second with a brick wall. But what can you tell me about this? Is this going to be a potential concern for Redfall right after seemingly making strides to fix their last concern? (laughs) That being the you gotta always be online thing. Okay, so I am someone who can tell the difference between a 30 and 60 frames. Uh, I enjoy playing games at 60 frames. It is a world of difference. Uh, you can feel the difference in 60 to 30 and 30 to 60. I should know, I've played plenty of games in both 30 and 60 frames, and you can tell the difference. With that said, I don't think this is going to hurt Redfall in general. Uh, because someone did bring up a good point that Arcane Studio has never really released a 60 frame per second console game. Like, Prey was 30 frames. Deathloop was, I believe, 30 as well at launch. Uh, so it's like, yeah, it is, it's part of their studio. The studio focuses on 
more technical stuff other than frames. You know, they're okay with 30 frames per second. Uh, but what makes it so bad is that it's 1440 30 frames. And that's really kind of strange to have on the Series X. You know, on Series X, you expect 1440 60, 4K 30, if that. Uh, the Series S is doing 1080p 30. And they did announce that, oh yeah, we'll be doing an update at a later time to do 60 frames. And with something like that, a lot of people are like, well, why am I buying the game now? Why won't I just wait? Even when the game is coming to Game Pass, there's still people like, well, then I'll just wait for the 60 frame patch. Now, I will be playing the game on PC. So, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I get my 60 frames. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I was going to get it on Xbox when it first announced, but you know, that was back before I updated my PC to my new rig. And so I'm actually not going to get hurt by this. But at the same time, for a game that's supposed to be as fast paced as Redfall as it looks, having the game runs at 30 frames is going to have a negative effect on a lot of players that do tell that can tell the difference between the 60 and 30 frames. It's going to be a real bit of a struggle for them. It's going to be a pain to play. Yeah. I I just I don't have much to add, unfortunately, to the. This, this is basically my story. Conversation, just here. yeah. Again, <laughs> yeah. I, as I said before, I feel like you're better off talking to a brick wall about this one. But at the same time, I wanted to add it on here because of just Redfall being in the news for just all the wrong reasons. To be fair to Arcane, they did say it will be added in, at a later date. And I do think, at the end of the day, I do think this game's going to be good. I, I stand by it. I don't think Arcane has done anything out of malice or in shady practices. We talked about the whole no, pay-to-win no. DMZ stuff earlier. It feels yeah. like nothing has ever been like that to where it's like, okay, what are you, what are you guys doing? All right, what are we doing here? It feels like it's just been questionable decisions. And and you know that's exactly that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Decision after decision have been so questionable with this game. That makes me hope that it hasn't impacted people's enjoyment of the game. I don't think it will, but I do think there are a lot of people who are going to be looking at those two stories and going, "Man, Redfall, you really put yourself in a bad position going into your release." Yeah. yeah. But hopefully the game ends up being great. I think it'll end up being good. I, at the very least, I think it'll end up being good. But let's go ahead and move on to our next story. EA and developer Ascendant Studios recently dropped a new story trailer and have officially announced Immortals of Avenium is releasing in July. Immortals of Avenium is a first-person shooter focused on magical powers in place of guns. Here's a synopsis for the game. Immortals of Avenium is a groundbreaking new single-player first-person magic shooter developed by Ascendant Studios and released by EA Originals. Experience the story of Jack as he joins an elite order of battle mages to save a world on the edge of abyss, end quote. It's going to sound hilarious to say, but the reason I'm not as high on this game is so ironic. It's because it's not multiplayer. (laughs) And I know this is EA who have been needing to do more single-player games. But I think this was one that you look at the concept for it and you're like, okay, you do an awesome story and then you also have some multiplayer. You got you a really cool game on your hand here. It 
feels like a bit of a missed opportunity not to have multiplayer here. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, I'm not really into what I saw because it, yeah, I mean it it, it, it did look cool. All right, I will admit uh, it kind of like it had that uh, kind of like a Doom or Quake kind of feel to it, where it looks kind of cool and a little bit of Forspoken. And Forspoken was like a first person shooter, and I, that's just the way it looks for me so far. Because uh, I haven't seen anything really all that interesting with the game, but it looks cool. I give it that. So I'm I'm it has my eyes. All right, it, it has my eyes. It doesn't have my interest just yet. Yeah, I get you. It's just, it does look interesting. And it's a completely different genre. And it's not a first-person shooter. But the comparison I would make is Outriders. <laughs> I don't, there's just some kind of vibe I'm getting to this game that reminds me of Outriders. And that's not particularly a good thing. That being said, I have liked what I've seen so far from Immortals of Avinium. The only complaint I would have is from their FAQ page that it's single player only. And I'm like, damn it, EA, the one time that you should be doing multiplayer. And it seems <laughs> For like you, the one time you want them to do multiplayer. Yeah, that, good point. Very good point. Because I'm sure there's a lot of people who are just excited by another single player game. But I do think there's a market out there for a unique first person shooter that doesn't have guns and instead it's magic based I'm like, man that sounds like a really cool concept to do you know there was a battle royale with that yeah what was it called i think it with the, with didn't concept. it get deactivated yeah no it's gone now yeah. <laughs> it was pretty it, fun it, it wasn't like top tier of a battle I mean, royale but it was pretty fun especially for free to play yeah yeah it lasted a long time too yeah i was, I was surprised with how long it lasted to be honest it was Spellbreak. Spellbreak, that's it, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty fun, but it just, I don't think it ever captured the audience that no. it needed to capture to ascend to the higher level Battle Royales. And I don't think it was as good as the other ones, to be fair. Either way, we'll have to wait and see. I know I keep saying that all episode, but we got 10 freaking news stories to get to, and I'm just trying to get to the next one. <laughs> so have to wait and see if this game ends up being any good we only saw bits of gameplay in the trailer i thought it looked legitimately fun but moving on to our next story as reported by ign longtime halo developer joseph statton is leaving microsoft we'll now be reading directly from the ign report written by rebecca valentine Quote, in its message, Microsoft did not say where Staten was headed next, nor the reason he was leaving Microsoft after nine years. We're grateful for Joseph's contributions to the Halo franchise and Xbox as a whole. The statement from a Microsoft spokesperson reads, we wish him all the best in his now in his new adventure. Staten himself took to Twitter to comment on IGN's report saying, hey folks, I am indeed leaving Microsoft. I'll have more info to share soon, but for now, I'd just like to thank all of my Xbox colleagues for their understanding and support as I embark on a new adventure. Staten has long been one of the best-known names behind the Halo franchise, having been cinematic director on Combat Evolved, Halo 2, and Halo 3, and having served as lead writer on Destiny while with Bungie, end quote. Upon returning to Microsoft, Staten eventually became the head of creative on Halo Infinite. 
the future of Halo has been discussed several times over the past few months. This news probably is going to get that stirred back up. Michael, what's your take on this? Uh, you know, I've been harsh on 343 for a while now. I don't really think I should say too much on this because was there really anything going on with Infinite? You know, it's a 10-year project. Everybody's been leaving left to right. A bunch of leads were leaving before the game even launched. So it really goes to show, like, there's something going on at 343 that the leadership isn't sticking around and that there's going to be new blood in the, in, in the, uh, in the game. And maybe, maybe that's what it needs, to be honest. Maybe it needs new leadership. Maybe it needs uh, new ideas. Because right now, Infinite is not in a bad place. It's in a decent place. But for a Halo game, it's in a unremarkable place. Uh, so, hey, seriously, all the, all the luck to, uh, to Joseph. You know, it's, it's never easy leaving uh, a company that you obviously enjoy being around. It's not easy uh, leaving a big franchise that you've had that did you probably dreamt of working on. So, you know, uh, just a shout out to Joseph. I know I've talked my fair share of crap about the game, uh, and I still do to this day. I haven't been on Halo Infinite in months. And when I did play with some friends, it was such a frustrating time. But in all seriousness, good luck to you out there. And hopefully 343 can find some kind of way to recover uh, from all their missing leadership. Yeah, I think that's the big thing, right? Is just Halo, its future, 343, its future, it all feels, no matter what Xbox and 343 says, it still feels like it's all up in there. Yeah, the the whole thing is a mess. I don't understand what's going on up there, Uh, but... You want to figure it out because as much, and you've criticized 343 in the past a lot, but you've always been very fair, I think, to point out when something's great with 343 and what they do. And both you and I have been on the same page talking about how the gameplay of Halo Infinite is so good. Like, it is top-tier Halo. Man, it is smooth, it's punchy, it just feels right. And you want 343 to figure it out. You can tell, like, they're there. They're right there. They're just, something's not clicking the way that it should. And I don't know what that is. I don't know if 343 should have some help with another development studio. I don't know if it's time to move on for another developer for Halo. But either way, no matter what happens, I cannot imagine the Xbox is sitting there happy with Halo Infinite. And going, yeah, this is the Halo for us. We're just going to sit back and let everything go and have this model that we planned out with the season passes and the battle passes. It feels like they, what probably should happen next is, all right, we got to fix this. We need to make a new Halo game. That is what everybody wanted Halo Infinite to be. And I don't know if that's going to include 343. With Joseph Staten out of the company now, who I think Joseph Staten's done a lot of good with Microsoft and with Halo, obviously. Look at Staten's track record. I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. So with him now not with the company, that's just a bigger cloud over this franchise. Like, all right, what's next for real? Like, what is going to happen here with Halo? And it's just, it's all question marks. 
I'm very curious to see what Xbox's strategy is going to be with it. I cannot, like I said earlier, I cannot imagine that they're just going to sit here and go like, all right, three, four, three, we're doubling down on you. Keep Halo Infinite going. It just, it feels like a lost cause. It feels like a lost cause now. There's no way they get 10 years out of this. I I don't know. I'm going to regret saying that. But <laughs> they'll somehow pull well, No Man's Sky. But I don't think yeah, they can get yeah. 10 years out of this. I really don't. And again, want to point out the gameplay of Halo Infinite is superb. It's just, there's so much off about the game, though. It's, it's so mm-hmm. weird that there's so much working against the gameplay. And that's 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 the sad part. It's like, man, your gameplay is great, but everything else just isn't there. Um, but I think it's because... You know, Microsoft or Xbox, the leadership there, they don't want to put more money into another Halo game. They want the microtransactions to work. They want to push that so bad uh, that I think that they will stick with the 10-year commitment. Now, whether that's feasible, we don't know yet. Because, again, you know, uh, like I said before, it's not in a bad spot, okay? Uh, So there's still people playing it religiously. There's still plenty of people... um, I guess going through the microtransaction, you know, the, one of the great things about Halo Infinite was the battle passes, they don't actually end. You can go back and finish those challenges and get those things. That's pretty cool. Yep. So maybe that can add on to longevity. But I think the leadership at Xbox really is trying to stick to that 10-year ten year um, promise. And after that, who knows what happens with 343, to be honest. Let's move on to our next story. As first reported by Xputer, Sony has filed a patent application for a new controller that could change its temperature. Xputer's write-up on this, which was done by Shamir Sarfaraz, was really well done, so I'm just going to be reading directly from their article on the story. Quote, Sony has published a new patent that discusses improvements to the haptic feedback feature and the ability to emulate the controller temperature to reflect gameplay moments. It mentions a deformable elastic sensor as well to replace the current plastic material used in PlayStation controllers. The change in sensors will reportedly improve the haptic feedback feature in current controllers because of the utilizing of gel-like material. The controller could also emulate different changes in temperature to reflect the in-game virtual items and haptic feedback. For instance, a hot in-game material could make the controller mimic a mildly high temperature. And quote, the Xpeter article goes on to talk about in detail how this controller would work. So if you want to learn more about this patent, check out their article in the description. In all honesty, this sounds pretty cool and just another step in the right direction. Sony seems to be going with their controllers. And by that, I mean Sony wants the player to feel immersed, not only through gameplay and the atmosphere of their games, but also through how they play the games. What's your take on this one? Patents don't really mean a whole lot of anything. Uh, There's all kind of patents that get brought in by uh, publishers and and uh, companies like Sony and Microsoft. Okay, so if that's a thing, I don't think a whole lot of games are going to use it very well, if at all. I can also see that causing trouble with certain components in, a, uh, in the controller. 
ask anybody anytime anything is hot such as your phone your handheld device anything you're using to play games when it gets hot the 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 chip within the system knows that hey i need to shut down real quick and cool off so i'm wondering if that's going to be a fail safe in the controller because hey these controls already have problems with like touch screen uh the, the touch pass not working uh stuck buttons stick drifts I saw somebody online uh, talk about how they had to replace seven different Xbox Series controllers. I mean, the the, uh, the, uh, the actual Series controller, the Series 2. And it's just like, these controls already have enough issues as is. Adding in another feature that can add on to the problems doesn't make sense to me. But at the same time, I do think it's kind of a cool idea that you go through God of War and your controller is kind of cold. Or you go through Ratchet and & Clank and... You go through a level where one moment is hot and the next is kind of cold. I think that'd be kind of cool, but at the same time, I can see a lot of people turning those features off, just like a lot of people turn off the adaptive triggers uh, features. Because yeah, it's kind of cool for a gimmick, but I don't think it's going to immerse anybody. Because when I'm immersed in something, I'm not thinking of my controller. My hands are doing things second nature. So if my controller is going around heating and cooling off, my first thought is there's something wrong with my controller. So I think for a lot of players, this is actually going to take them out of the immersion rather than bring them into it. Yeah, just repeating my opinion on this. I don't know. Like you said, like patents, one thing. How it, if it ends up actually coming to fruition, it's another thing entirely, right? So yeah. I'm working under these. Let's work under the assumption that this eventually gets developed and it gets released. I really like the potential of this, though. I think with haptic feedback, it's a really cool feature of the PS5 controller. I think it makes it the best controller out there today. I think this would be another addition to it that's like, oh man, you could do a lot with this to keep the player immersed in your game. But it kind of goes back to what you were saying, too, right? Like, how are the developers going to incorporate that? Yeah. So, let's move from Sony to xbox ubisoft plus is now officially available on xbox consoles through ubisoft plus multi-access it's priced at $17.99 a month and gives players access to a ton of ubisoft games such as assassin's creed rogue remastered assassin's creed 4 includes assassin's creed liberation assassin's creed unity assassin's creed valhalla Assassin's Creed Chronicles, Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered, Odyssey, Origin Syndicate, Ezio Collection, you get it, people. A lot of Assassin's Creed games. We got Family Feud, Far Cry Primal, Far Cry 3, Blood Dragon, Far Cry 3, the Classic Edition, Far Cry 4 Gold Edition, Far Cry 5, and Far Cry 6 Gold Editions, Far Cry New Dawn, Fort Honor, Ghost Recon Breakpoint, Ghost Recon Wildlands, both of those are the Ultimate Edition. Immortals Phoenix Rising, the Gold Edition, Rainbow Six Siege, the Deluxe Edition, South Park, both of the South Park games, The Crew, The Crew 2, The Division, Gold Edition, The Division 2, and a whole lot more. I gotta admit, man, I liked the idea of Ubisoft putting their games together in an EA Play-like service, but I expected it, it to be a lot more incorporated into Xbox Game Pass somehow. <laughs> yeah, I think you and everybody else. But at $17.99 per month, I can't, I just can't see this service being all too successful. 
especially with so many subscription services out there already and with Game Pass providing a better service at a cheaper rate. Right. So have you ever actually used uh, Ubisoft Plus? I haven't. Hold on. I got a little bit more research here because I want to make sure I get all Ubisoft Plus's benefits sitting here. Okay. And if you want to know why I'm bringing all this up, here's what you officially get with Game Pass Ultimate. Again, at $14.99 per month. You get to play over 100 high-quality games for console, PC, phones, and tablets. This is from Xbox's official write-up. This is not my opinion here. (laughs) Play games from the cloud. New games added all the time. Again, this is how Microsoft is describing it. Xbox Game Studio titles available on the same day as release, exclusive member discounts and deals, free perks including in-game content and partner offers, Xbox Live Gold, EA Play membership included, console and PC. And here's what you get with Ubisoft Plus multi-access, according to the official plan provided on their website. You can play 100 plus games on PC with Ubisoft Connect, access to uh, premium editions, play new releases on day one, 10% discount on virtual currency packs, unique monthly rewards, new indie games added monthly, play selected games via cloud with Luna, play selected games with Xbox. Admittedly, the play new releases on day one is a cool benefit, but this is me getting into my opinion here. I don't think Ubisoft's current quality of games are worth that pricing per month. Uh, so, Michael, here's my question to you. What are your thoughts on Ubisoft Plus coming to Xbox? Uh, honestly, it's too little too late, to to be honest, because uh, it's come at a time where people are kind of tired of Ubisoft's game, and Ubisoft is trying desperately to get into the free-to-play market. Uh, so it just seems like a last-minute struggle from Ubisoft to try and make some kind of bank back because Ubisoft Plus on PlayStation, I think it's I think it finally happened and that came with the wet fart. Nobody really cared about that. Um, I had Ubisoft. I've tried Ubisoft Play, uh, Ubisoft Plus uh, before in the past. I've I've had a subscription for a little while. It's not very good. I'm going to be completely honest with you. Uh, it, it is it's not worth continuously having. And I really thought, like you, that like EA uh, uh, Play or EA Access, it was going to be part of Game Pass or Game Pass Ultimate. I was really hoping it was, even if it bumped up to like having the having the uh, the subscription service to twenty dollars a month. I think that'd have been worth it. Where you have three different publishers, we have Microsoft, uh, we have Xbox, EA, and Ubisoft all in the same subscription, twenty dollars a month. Doesn't sound that bad to me. Uh, but it's just not it's not really worth it because once you played one Assassin's Creed or one Far Cry game, congratulations, you played the next three or four of them. And Skull and Bones is coming out anytime soon, so I don't know why you're still waiting on that one. Uh, Ubisoft is struggling hard to try and get people's attention with their games, and I think it's too little too late for Ubisoft Plus to come to Xbox. You and I were both kind of excited for it when it was announced like 20 years ago. Uh, but now it doesn't really mean much to me. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think this is just, I don't see it working. <laughs> it costs more than Game Pass Ultimate, and you don't even yeah. get nearly as much with it. 
And I go back to what I was saying, right? Ubisoft games, when they release now, I just don't think their quality is good enough to warrant that. Ubisoft of what, 10, 12 years ago? Maybe. Oh, uh, top notch. Maybe, yeah, probably. Ago, that's a, oh, man. But Ubisoft right now, hell no. N- not worth that price tag at all. <laughs> it's really not. Now I must say, granted, I know I I said a bunch of negatives. Granted, they also the description also gives you uh, the premium edition of their games, which is kind of cool. Which means you have to hold on <laughs> to that stuff while you wait for the DLC to happen. I don't know, man. I I just it's it's not worth it. I'm just saying it's not worth it. Know. But you know, you get the premium. You would think it would be incorporated in the Xbox somehow. I, I really hope it does one day. Don't forget, EA Access was also a, a separate subscription at one point in time. Yeah, when true. when they first started. But even that was what five bucks, I think. Yeah, it was way cheaper. But granted, I know that I'm pretty sure that EA didn't have like play new releases day one. You could play the full game. They had trials for their games. Yeah, yeah, they had the trials and discounts. Yeah, so they didn't have the you can play the full game from day one on and the premium versions. So I mean, true. in their defense, they give you ten hours, which from a lot of their games is enough to yeah get play your a lot of it at least. But eighteen dollars a month is what's getting me. That's what just trips me up. I'm like, man, this is just. It feels like this is gonna crash and burn. Yeah, to play Assassin's Creed twenty three. That's basically like, hey, you want to play Assassin's Creed Mirage on <laughs> day one, eighteen ninety nine or eighteen bucks. Oh, and worst part is, uh, I'm just gonna say this real quick. Um, the only way you can use that subscription is also with uh, on PC. It's with their very own launcher. So if you decide that you're going to get it, um, and you pl- and you have the Xbox uh, o- Xbox Game Pass app, just like with EA's game, once you click on a Ubisoft game, you have to use their launcher. And the Ubisoft Connect launcher is absolutely garbage. It is trash. It is awful. It is horrendous. Oh my goodness! I don't know how any company can be proud of releasing that piece of shit product. But it's out now. Have you actually ever used the Ubisoft Connect launcher? No, I haven't. You're a good man. Uh, keep it that way. Save yourself the frustration. It is absolutely fucking bonkers how bad this launcher is. Like, it is shit. It is EA Origins shit. It is that bad. It is a terrible launcher. And I really wish Ubisoft... I actually tweeted about that today when we were recording this episode. That they would please get rid of that launcher. Because it is garbage tier. It should not exist. Well, can you tell I'm upset? I I can tell. Moving on to our last story of the week, and this is a real positive one. I think it's going to be interesting. Jack Black. We're on our last story already. We are. Uh, Just a long time into this podcast. Huh. While talking with BBC, Jack Black was promoting the Super Mario Brothers movie, in which he stars as the voice of Bowser. And talked about the future of video game adaptations. Quote, the film in the TV and film industries seem to be seeing a bit of shrinkage. It will be interesting to see what happens to the entertainment industry over the next 20 to 30 years. But I think we will be seeing more storytelling from the gaming universe. End quote. Black continued. Quote, I'm a fan of adaptations when done right. The Last of Us was fantastic, and what's crazy about how loyal it is to original source material is basically all from the game with just a couple of tweaks is going to win all the awards. They use the video games 
almost like a storyboard, and I was like, whoa, this looks just the same. And there are some great games that have yet to be explored in television or film. Maybe there's going to be a Red Dead Redemption movie. There should be, because I think that has just as good or an even better story than The Last of Us, end quote. And with that one quote on the internet, a fight broke out on which is the better story, The Last of Us or Red Dead Redemption 2. Probably. (laughs) Are you with Jack Black on this one? I am. I think Red Dead Redemption would be a fantastic TV show or movie. Preferably a show. Don't they already have that with Yellowstone or Yellow Park? Or Don't you dare called? compare Yellowstone to Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I'm just saying, man. Don't you guys already got your Red Dead story with that? <laughs> you swine. How dare you? <laughs> you uncultured swine. Uh, but, I mean, man, it, it's, it's kind of weird that Jack Black would say Red Dead Redemption. Because for me, I felt the story was kind of drawn out. Uh, so yeah, it it does kind of fit what Hollywood would want, like sixteen seasons of a show that people like. So I think it could work. Uh, but the question is, where do you actually start? Do you start at Red Dead Revolver, or do you nah, just go Red ahead Red and jump Redemption. into Red Dead Redemption? You just jump right into Red Dead. Well, Redemption. Red Dead Revolver okay. is a legend in Red Dead Redemption story. Like Red Harlow and everything Wait, so there seems like a. Tall tale, like it. It seems like it's somewhat canon in the sense that people tell stories about Red Harlow, whether or not yeah, those stories yeah, yeah. are true in the Red Dead world or not is up for debate. But it seems like Red Harlow is at least exists in some form in Red Dead Redemption. Okay, well there you go. You can do Red Dead Redemption, drop the name a few times, and there you go. You have a you have a spinoff of Revolver. Yeah, you can. I could see you actually doing that. That's actually a really good idea because you start off with Red Dead Redemption, and then there could be some kind of like mention of Red Harlow and like this tall tale, this epic story, and then you could do a spinoff, a one season spinoff of Red Harlow's story if you wanted to go back to Revolver, which is a very outlandish story, by the way. That feels like a tall tale, but. I think that would actually be really cool. You kind of pitched this to me. I like it, man. Because <laughs> you can make Red Dead Revolver so much more unrealistic, the Red Dead Redemption, and play off of the yeah. it's a story passed down and nobody knows what's actually accurate from it. But it could be something like somebody telling the story at a campfire. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's adorable that you think it's a one-season thing. You know, they're gonna no, Revolver would be a one-season thing. Redemption no, that's what would I'm be saying. like no, a, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, you think that they'll do a one-season spinoff of Revolver? No. Yeah, I, well, they do that all the time with these shows. Like, even you talked about Yellowstone, 1883 is a one-season off show. Now, granted, they made another show called 1923 that's a continuation. See, that's what I'm saying. I think everything's just a spinoff of all the stories. Yeah. I don't even think Yellowstone's a real story. I think it's a spinoff of something else. Besides the point, I think Red Dead Redemption would be a fantastic story in television or movie format. Again, I'd prefer television format because I think you could tell more of a story and go deeper into the characters. Oh, yeah, no, it has to be a TV series. Now, here's the thing. If you do Red Dead Redemption, do you start with Arthur or do you start with John? Because two is a prequel. That's the thing. Do you start with two and then go to one? Or do you do the thing the games did? Because I think the reason 2 works, too, is because John Marston's in it. And I think people 
gravitate to it be like oh shit it's John Marston again like whoa that's awesome see that's a strange thing it's because I think Red Dead 2 had the more interesting story or at least beat wise they had the more interesting story than Red Dead 1 even though I think Red Dead 1 story is like really good okay when you say that Red Dead Redemption 1 is a great story that has a fantastic all time ending Red Dead Redemption 2 from a story standpoint from my opinion is a freaking masterpiece I just think it has pacing issues a little bit, but I think that's just because of video games. Now, video yeah, games in general usually have some minor, at the very least, minor pacing issues when it comes yeah, to longer yeah. stories and stuff. But I, I think in a TV show format, you can hammer that out a little bit. But I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I would probably do what the games did. I'd start with John and then go back. And I don't know what you'd yeah, do for three. If, for three. <laughs> Well, for a third season. Hey, well, the thing is, uh, with the with the way Red Dead Two story is going, you can easily do three or four seasons of Red Dead Two True. because you can you you can you can have them focus on each member of the gang. You know, like because they there's so many hints and drops about each member of the gang that you can do a whole storyline for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you can. So I think you can stretch that out to like three to five seasons for that, and then do Red Dead One. Man, there's so much potential in this. It is no, it 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 is. And that's one of the great things about uh about the, about these games that focus on stories that you can make them, you can take them from a video game and put them live action on screen, which is really cool. Uh, so when it comes down to the the last part, the second part you were talking about, uh, which story was better? I like the Last of Us story. Didn't care for Last of Us two, uh, at least the idea of Last of Us two. So I didn't play that one. I've always admitted I never played Last of Us Part two. Uh, I like Last of Us Part 1. I, I love the story in that one. But I love it because I'm the kind of person who likes to focus on characters. And the character of Joel and Ellie and their journey together is what really held it together for me. It was great. Red Dead. I was like, yeah, I mean, John is, is, is cool. Arthur's pretty cool. But there's nothing that's really attached me to those characters. Like... I feel like I'm really? just following along in their story. Yeah. I feel yeah, like I know, Arthur... I know, I know it's strange. I'd argue that Arthur Morgan is the greatest protagonist in gaming history. Ooh. If we did a Clash of the Stash of who is the best gaming protagonist, I'd probably pick Arthur Morgan. His journey oh, okay. of a bad man to a man trying to redeem himself and see the deer at the end. I, I think that is one of the most beautiful stories in gaming. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of cool, but and the thing is, I think it's because when it comes to Arthur, we didn't really, like, see the bad guy side of him. Like, we, like we, we've been told stories of it, but, like, we never played through the bad guy side of him. Well, you still do, though, at the beginning. But, but like, the weight of guilt that Arthur has, I don't think was really conveyed in the story very well at the beginning. Yeah, it's one of those things that, over the story, I think that's where he starts to finally, like, reckon with his past. Yeah. But I think that's because of the story. You know, I don't yeah, think that's yeah. a complaint towards like, oh, Arthur is a character. I think it's just the nature of how the story's playing out. It's Arthur realizing like, oh, this is this is not what I want out of my life. This is horrible. Yeah. And I I, I did kinda of like the whole story of the age of the cowboy was ending and like we were starting to see the rise of the gov- the US government. And you see that in Red Dead One too. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, uh, and I think that's what really drew me to Red Dead uh, Redemption was that whole, well, yeah, cowboys were cool and all, but there was a point to where 
it's a bygone era. They were just dying out. And it's a story of these gentlemen who were trying to hang on as long as they can to this bygone era. And I thought that was pretty cool. So yeah, it has a cool hook to it. But the way the story was told, I kind of felt that The Last of Us like kind of did it better character wise. Oh, like, it's a great argument to be had. Like don't we, yeah, no, yeah. we're it's, talking it's, like it's, it's what's the better story? It's like three ten out of tens. I yeah, think. yeah, no, they're good they're good stories. Like they're like they're good stories. They have great characters. Yeah. And like that's really what it was gonna boil down to. Uh, the way it told the story, the pacing, and the characters themselves. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you're going to look at when you see this kind of stuff. But uh, So for me, personally, The Last of Us 1, uh, I think, was a better story. Uh, but only because I really attached myself uh, to Joel and Ellie and their journey together. So for me, that, that's why that story works. Uh, so, when it comes, so when it comes to what's better, Red Dead or Last of Us, I say it's kind of tied because like you said, for you, you hung on to Arthur and his story redemption. And that's the kind of stuff that makes a good story. Great. It's when you can hook yourself yes. to the character and follow through their journey, which to be fair, like I know we're, we're both not huge fans of last of us part two and its story. Last of us part two has a lot of fans. Like I know oh, it yeah, was divisive. No. Don't get me wrong; it was very divisive in its story. But there are a lot of people who put Last of Us Two on par, if not better, than The Last of Us One. So if we had somebody else on who did enjoy Last of Us Part Two, I'm sure that they would be making an argument going, "Well, hell, Red Dead Redemption and Red Dead Redemption Two are great, but so are the first two Last of Us games." Yeah. So these are two franchises, man, that are for real, like juggernauts in terms of storytelling i think even with my issues uh, with last of us too yeah i I, w- I would argue that red dead and the last of us th- those franchises have told the best stories in gaming and i'm not saying like it's top tier i'm saying like it's it's up there it's one of those great games that you're just like yeah i can argue for this story all day long which i think you and i could probably do a whole episode on that and we're not saying that one is better than the others. Just like we understand for our personal sake of which one uh, that we attach to more. For me, it was The Last of Us because of Jill and, Ol- uh, and Ellie. For you, it was because of Arthur's uh, redemption story. And that's what makes great stories. Is, is, is the way those characters uh, carry themselves through the story. Like That's what makes them great. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm totally with Jack Black on this. Uh, the Last of Us shown that, yeah, you can turn these serious uh, video game stories into a serious TV show. That's the thing right there. Like, The Last of a Show, and I think to an extent we go back to the Sonic movie and a few other projects I'm not really thinking of that have done very well, and it seems like the Mario movie is also another great one. But it seems like The Last of Us was the catalyst that has now given a lot of people, like, hope that video game adaptations can be done right. And done into becoming some of the most successful IPs in Hollywood. But let's get out of here. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Michael, what you been playing? Uh, I've been trying to play X Defiant, but <laughs> piece of shit, Ubisoft launcher isn't working. Uh, but I've been playing a preview demo of a game called Shattered Heavens. Uh, as a card-based RPG, I'm loving it so far. Uh, I am going to be doing a, a video, um, a, a preview video of it pretty soon. And I think I just skipped ahead to what I was working on, so who cares? Uh, here's what I'm playing and working on. 
so yeah, Shattered Heavens is the thing I've been uh, trying to play, and I'm still getting through God of War Ragnarok. I've just been so busy traveling around to different conventions and trying to get things done with streaming wise that I haven't been able to finish it. But I'm going to get back to that pretty soon. What about you, Taylor? What have you been playing? Well, first off, give us your social media handles so we can go <laughs> just call it. Oh, okay, okay. we're going through this all at once. Yeah, sure. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at m underscore m o s l e y underscore j r. You can also find me pretty soon on Twitch again at Fox Daddy. That's F-Zero-X-D-A-D-D-Y. And yes, I am one of those people who might be jumping on kick pretty soon. So prepare for that in the future. As for me, I've been playing some Destiny 2 still. Still? I can't say that every weekend. It's going to remain the same. Oh, man. They got you. You're, you're addicted. I love it, man. It's, it's a fun game, man. I love the gameplay loop. I mean, hey, that's what counts. Yeah, so I've been playing a little bit of that, and other than that, I've just been working on these podcasts. You can find me in our Discord, the link for which is in the description of this episode. I want to thank Michael for joining me. I want to thank anyone for listening in. We will be back next week with more gaming news. 